Now we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe life into your word to us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just uh, before my family moved to Canada from South Africa, I had finished my time at Western Province Preparatory School in Cape Town. At the end of the school year, all the grade seven graduates traditionally attended what we call Leavers Camp. It was a legendary time and I'd been looking forward to it for seven years and it lived up to my expectations. It was an amazing adventure. We were taken out to this massive wild land reserve in Western Cape. And over the course of the week, we stayed at several different base camps, uh, each with various activities. There was mountain biking, kayaking, fishing, zip lining, rappelling, uh, a very challenging obstacle course, the re- completion of which required a lot of teamwork and problem solving and some instruction from one of our young teachers who had just completed uh, his time in the then uh, the, the then mandatory service in the military. So, you know, it was a really exciting time. But the thing that was most fun, I think, for all of us was that after seven years in a rather strict, traditional school, we were suddenly given a lot of newfound freedom. Like we'd get to these base camps and they'd say, there's the mountain bikes, go explore. And as I look back at it now, I can see how all of this was very intentional. It was all for the purpose of equipping us some more with some life lessons uh, a few steps further towards adulthood, towards the next chapter in our lives. Uh, South African high school for most of them, which is a scary place, or was, and Canadian high school for me, which, which wasn't as bad. One of the best examples of this intentional activities was one activity in particular. We were divided into groups of six, and at this point, you know, it was a fun camp, and they knew us all, so they put us in groups with our buddies. And then we were sent off into the wilderness on a hike to find our next campsite. Most of us at that point had a little bit of experience in basic orienteering, so we were just given a compass and sent on our way. We, we did have an adult supervisor with us, one of our teachers. They had a walkie-talkie in case of emergencies, but they gave us no help or clues. We were told it was a race to see who of all the groups over the course of the week could find the camp in the fastest time. Now, after a couple of hours, uh, the excitement had worn off in our group as we realized we had no idea where we were. We had no idea where we were going How were we supposed to complete this task? So five of us, 13-year-old boys, began to deliberate what to do next. And when I say deliberate, I of course mean argue. Now four of the six of us definitely had very different, quite strong opinions on which way to go. One didn't say very much, and the sixth kid just stood over there uh, kicking rocks. And as I've learned about conflict resolution, you can see there's different ways we handle these things. Eventually, a couple of my friends just also gave up completely, and we all just sat down on the ground and began to feel a bit sorry for ourselves, you know, started wondering whether we should give up, because we couldn't come to any kind of agreement. 
And all the while, our teacher just stood there watching us with a wry smile on his face. And after a little while of just sitting around doing nothing, I stood up and I just said, guys, let's just keep going in the direction we were already going. And so I started walking and everyone else got up and followed me, which was a bit of a surprise. I wasn't expecting that to work. And then we tore off into the bush. We now had renewed energy, uh, a renewed sense of purpose. Our spirits lifted and we tore off into this bush for some good old-fashioned South African bundu bashing, as we call it, uh, bushwhacking, uh, as we call it here. It was through some very dense, very sharp, uh, very wild terrain. And when we did finally make it to the campsite in a time of just under four hours, uh, we were informed, much to our surprising disappointment, that we had not won the race. We had not got the best time. One team had managed to find the camp in a record 30 minutes. And of course it was Matthew Gray's group. They didn't go bundu bashing. They just stuck to the path and found it quickly. The teacher who'd been supervising then sat us down for a debriefing and he gave us his assessment of how we'd fared in the challenge. And he shared how we found it fascinating observing how we handled that situation of realizing we were lost our different reactions and our different attempts to try to solve the problem. And I still remember uh, the mixture of pride and embarrassment I felt when he said to us all, it was great to see Ellis step up and take the lead. Of course, you know you led everyone in the exact opposite direction you were meant to go. We were 10 minutes away from the camp, and we ended up taking another hour and a half to get there. And I call that the scenic route. <laughs> but today we're here to, to, to ponder, wonder, reflect on if, if any of us have had a similar experience where we may have gotten ourselves disoriented in some way or another and tried to find the way, but ended up being dead wrong about it. In our gospel reading this morning from Luke 24, we encounter two of Jesus' disciples. Now, they knew where they were going physically. They were following the path, the road, from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. But they were lost. They were emotionally and spiritually disoriented. Luke tells us they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about Jesus' arrest and subsequent execution. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, the risen Lord, came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So it wasn't their fault they didn't recognize Jesus. We have been told that his appearance had changed. And so they continued to explain to Jesus all that had happened to him. They continued that they had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Luke tells us they were feeling downcast because, like many, they thought Jesus might be the Messiah, but they also thought the Messiah was going to bring political liberation, and these things had not happened. So they were feeling sad and confused, and they continued, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these two disciples, for whatever reason, are still downcast. They don't believe the account of the women. They're not sure what's going on. And I was reading in Oswald Chambers' reflection on this passage in my devotions a little while ago that every fact that the disciples stated was right, but the conclusions they drew, the direction they took from these facts, was dead wrong. They were disappointed on Easter morning. These followers knew that the tomb was empty, but they didn't understand the women's report. They didn't understand Jesus had risen. And they're not alone in that. A lot of people over the centuries have heard the report of the resurrection and failed to understand it. Despite the women's witness, which was verified by some of the disciples, and despite all the biblical prophecies of this very thing happening, they still didn't believe. And so they remained downcast, filled with confusion and sadness. Now, after these two disciples had explained their sadness and confusion to Jesus, he responded, he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, have already explained all that has already been written. But Jesus didn't leave his response at that, at this brief reprimand. He continued then to guide them towards the truth, not just explaining what had actually happened, but why. Jesus said to them, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Beginning with Moses, not the story of Moses, but the writings of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the writings of the prophets. So basically starting with the whole of the Old Testament, Jesus blessed these two foolish disoriented, lost disciples with what has to be the greatest lesson in biblical theology the world has ever seen. As he explained to them all of what is said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as my New Testament professor always likes to reflect, and now I do as well, so you've probably heard me say before, every time this passage is mentioned, wouldn't we have loved to be there on the road with them to hear all that Jesus had to say. Well, as I was thinking about that this week, I realized that for centuries, biblical scholars and preachers and teachers and disciples have no doubt thought the same thing, have wondered in awe what that lesson may have been. But all that wondering has led to centuries of searching through the scriptures for an answer. An answer that's not that difficult to find, because the answer is everywhere. 
Jesus is the central theme, the central focus that binds all of the scriptures together. He is the thread woven through God's divine tapestry. I read this week from an unknown source. I don't know who who said it, but if we were to imagine all of the scripture as a vast and intricate tapestry, we should imagine each thread carefully woven with precision and purpose as representing a part of God's eternal plan. And in every thread, there is a revelation waiting to be discovered, a revelation that intricately weaves its way towards Jesus, that leads us to Christ, his incarnation, his ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection, the ultimate fulfillment of God's eternal plan. Jesus stands in the center of this divine tapestry. His presence illuminates every thread and casts a divine glow on the entire masterpiece. And so during this Lent season, we're going to take a break from journeying through the creed and return to the readings from our common lectionary. We're going to take time together over these next 40 days plus four Sundays of Lent to journey through to focus on the Old Testament readings from the lectionary. It's been a while since we've done that. These readings have been carefully selected to help us in our preparation for Easter, but they also clearly illuminate this divine thread that points us to Jesus. As this week, beginning with Moses, with the writings of Moses, and our reading today from Genesis, we see God's covenant with Noah. Then next week, we will take a look at God's covenant with Abraham, then his covenant with Moses, and then Israel's breaking of their covenant with God, as is recorded in Chronicles, followed by God's promise of a new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah, all leading us, guiding us, orienting us, pointing us towards Jesus. So our Old Testament reading today from Genesis 9 is a perfect example of this. Genesis 9, as we heard, shares the account of God's covenant with Noah, but along with Noah, with all living creatures, in which God promised to never again flood the earth to destroy all life. And God established the rainbow as a sign, a reminder of this covenant, this promise, as a symbol of hope in God's enduring, faithful, unending grace and mercy, as well as in his commitment to restoration, renewal, even in the midst of this great destruction, this great flood. But this covenant with Noah also establishes a precedent for God's relationship with humanity, with his people, his covenantal bond with his people. We've talked about this when we were looking at the Ten Commandments. It's the same type of relationship agreement husband and wives make together in a marriage. And this covenant, this relationship agreement with Noah, then sets the stage for the future covenants that God makes with his people that I just mentioned, with Abraham and Moses, etc. 
But even as we begin here with Noah, as we've just begun looking at how this divine tapestry, how scripture is so beautifully and purposefully interwoven, we see that this account from Genesis demonstrates something we observed in Romans when we were going through Paul's letter to the church in Rome together. That God is both just and merciful. In this reading from Genesis, we see God's justice in his judgment through the flood. But we also see his mercy in his commitment, his promise to never again destroy the earth in the same way. And it is this promise that ultimately points us to Jesus, to God's ultimate plan for redemption and restoration and renewal through Jesus as it points us to a future where God's justice and mercy are fully realized in the salvation of humanity by Jesus' work on the cross. So even here in this account from Genesis, just when it seems like all is lost, God has just brought about the just destruction of a sinful world through a flood. Even here, God points to Jesus. And that's something we can remember if we ever feel disoriented. That sometimes the answer is the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Whether we're lost in the wilderness like me and my grade 7 buddies, or whether we're adrift at sea like Noah, or whether we are feeling spiritually and emotionally lost like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, whether we're trying to find answers that end up being dead wrong, God has already shown us that the answer is always Jesus. Now just this Thursday, just a couple of days after our AGM, I had the privilege of being invited to lunch with Charles and Verna Alexander, um, along with my parents. And we got to talking about the direction of the church, as one would a couple of days after an AGM. And we talked about some of the things we have to celebrate, as well as some of the challenges. And we talked about how to lead in the right direction. And so, to quote Charles Alexander, and I told him I was going to quote him on this, which he and Verna got a chuckle out of, to quote Charles, when it comes to going in the right direction, we need to ask ourselves every day in our daily lives and as a church, Where are we going, and where do we want to go? Now, of course, we understand that answering those questions can seem difficult. And as we've reflected on a little bit today and reflected on before, we can come up with all the ideas on our own, but they could be dead wrong. And unless God is behind them, they are meaningless, even if they seem right. So Charles adds that after asking ourselves, where are we going and where do we want to go? We also always need to ask ourselves, where does God want us to go? And then, how do we get there? But if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on his agenda, his plan, his mission, not our own or somebody else's, For his glory, not our own or somebody else's, with our eyes fixed on him, 
we will find the direction we need. And it's not a mystery where to find it. He's already provided the answers for us in scriptures, which we read through prayerfully. And so, just as a part of this, just as one step in the right direction, whether we do find ourselves disoriented or lost or trying to find the way but heading in the exact opposite direction, or even whether we just need a reminder that we're on the right track, this Lent we're going to follow this journey, follow this thread through God's divine tapestry that points us to Jesus. Because this season of Lent, uh, though it is one of the times when we do reflect on some of the harder feelings we have, is a gift to all of us. It's a season during which we are given an opportunity to be intentional about reorienting, recalibrating, refocusing, redirecting ourselves, our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies, our lives, back to Jesus. As Anna and Esprit put it at our Ash Wednesday service, Lent is the season in which we are intentional about turning away from the things that are disorienting us and reorienting ourselves towards Jesus. And that's what we hope to do this Lent as we journey through some of the scriptures that take us through God's divine tapestry and point us to Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the times when we can feel certain that we are on the right path. But we also confess there are times when we are not certain, when we may feel lost or disoriented. And we thank you that in those times, you are faithful in providing us with direction. We thank you that we can always call to you and we can always read and hear your word in your holy scriptures, written for our learning. And so we pray, would you grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience, and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.